You've tuned into Growth Point Church, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that the messages provide an atmosphere for growth and grace in your relationship with Christ and an opportunity for you to gather together in community, whether online or in person. Now let's go into the message. Verse 14, it says, I will praise you. Anybody got a praise in the room? It says, I will praise you, for I am fearfully, I am wonderfully made, wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. I want to talk today from the topic, a piece of work. You look at someone and say, I'm a piece of work. <laughs> yeah, you've been wanting to say that all week long. So I'm a piece of work. Father, bless your word. Bless this time together. Take me out of the equations. I'm not smart enough to do it without you. I need you. Uh, I bask in your glory, your presence. God, I've studied, um, but that doesn't mean anything if it gets in the way of you. Don't let my intellect get in the way of your spirit. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Someone holler out again. I'm a piece of work. So a few days ago, um, Zemiah, um, Zemiah Clay, who's left, she's left right now. She's in the um, real point. But she made this piece for me that they put it on the screen for you. She made this piece for me and because um, I told her what I was going to be talking about Sunday. And I asked her, could she draw something to depict it? When you look at this particular piece, you see, as I thought, because, you know, of course, I don't have an eye for art, as I talked about last week. It was great illustration, but I don't have an eye for it. Uh, but I said, you know, when she sent it to me, I said, you know, you can take the sun out of his eye. She said, that's not the sun. <laughs> I said, I thought that was the sun. And so in the back office, she said to me, she said, where that came from was when I read the scripture that said, no one shall see God and live. I said, you better be deep in these last and evil days. She said, no one can see God and live. And if you look in that hand, you will see a person standing there looking at God. And under the hand is the world. That is a piece of work that someone made. One of our teenagers. Can we give God praise? One of our teenagers did that. So first of all, it's important to know that a teenager did that from the standpoint of all teenagers won't be deacons, missionaries, evangelists, choir members, and worship leaders. <laughs> some of them will be drawing the pictures of the next presidents, and some of them will be drawing your pictures and portraits, and we want to make sure that we celebrate all of the young people and what it is they do. But when I look at a piece of work, my um, Mel was saying the other day to me, she has many conversations about many different things, and she said the other day, she said, um, why do you think people do what they do? Why do you think people are the way they are? What do you think about what people do? All of y'all have these type of conversations, not just her. She was just saying it. And then she said, what do you think about what people do? What do you think about why people are the way they are? And it was going back and forth. It was probably a rhetorical conversation. But my response was, I don't know. I have no clue. And my response saying I don't know was to really say, I'm a piece of work myself. I don't know about other people because what happens and what the conversation was based on is a lot of times there's a whole bunch of stuff that you see and different things reported and this person is doing this and this person is doing that and this person after all these years did this and all of a sudden these things and they make you start to question your own 
stability or your own uh, life and make you question and say things. And, and sometimes what happens is instead of us living in the contractual, uh, the, the confines of our own life, we bring others into our life and it becomes more complicated. Because not only am I trying to figure out my own life, but I'm also trying to figure yours out at the same time. I or she or anybody else are not guilty, not the only ones guilty of that. Many of us have much commentary about other people's lives. We have much commentary about what people are doing, why we think they're doing. And sometimes even we try to critique people's posts and critique people's pictures and critique people. Don't just don't, don't y'all be quiet. Like we if there's anybody who is a line wonder, it is church people. Church people will say everything, I promise you. We will especially, let, let somebody break up. And the first thing we say, girl, I saw it. Go back to about five posts before that. Look into their eyes. You could see something wasn't right. Come on, y'all. We do it all the time, all the time. Or let some scandal come out. Girl, let me tell you about that one time when he shook my hand. I knew he was a snake. I knew it. He didn't even have no grip in his shape. It was slimy. I mean, we, we constantly have discernment after it. We're good at the after effect. Like, I saw it. But why? if you saw it, why do you never say nothing? But when you realize that you are a piece of work yourself, your commentary becomes less. And maybe, I don't know if it's because I'm getting older, I really don't know, but my commentary about other people's life is getting less and less because I just don't have the bandwidth. I don't have the, the mental capacity to be able to balance your ignorance and mine at the same time. I, I just, I just with, without Christ, without the blood of Jesus Christ, that's why the songwriter and even the psalmist said in the scripture, there but for the grace of God go me. Like, if it weren't for grace, I could be a post, I could go viral, anybody. Like, it's only his grace that keeps me often when I don't want to be kept myself. So I, my, I don't know if it's older or age or something, like, I've just seen enough that I just don't really care. <laughs> you know, when some, did you see child? No, I didn't. I don't really care. I don't have time. Stop sending me these Instagram links. Stop it. Stop DMing me this stuff. Stop it right now. Just, I want y'all to go ahead and just say, everybody just say that loud. Stop it right now. Just, just stop it. Like, I don't want to see it. I don't want to hear it because I don't want to have commentary about people I've never met. I don't want to read a blog or a blog about somebody I have never met personally. I am a piece of work. Can we just say this out loud? I am a piece of work. Me, myself. But when we look at that particular painting that, that Zamaya did, a piece of work doesn't necessarily mean something bad. A piece of work is not necessarily something that is, is, that is torn apart, talked about, degraded, or any of that stuff. This, uh, this, this um, painter, um, this person who drew this, this artist, drew a wonderfully depicted picture of God looking at mankind and, God, and mankind being in the palm of God's hand and the world being under God. It's a piece of work. What I want to do in this series of Becoming is change your mind about how bad of a work you think you are because a lot of times when we say I'm a piece of work it's to minimize 
yourself or to say to someone, girl, I got well, all that type of stuff, but to really look at yourself again and to say, really, I am God's masterpiece. I am God's work on display. I am a piece of work. Say it one more time. I am a piece of work. I really am. And when we look at this scripture and we look at this particular context, and I don't know whether I'm going to teach or preach or holler, run, skip. I don't know. Something's going to come out. I don't really know. I went to my dad's church to celebrate 31 years of pastoral ministry. And at, praise the Lord. And um, at my dad's church, you can't wear skinny jeans. <laughs> you got to look like you were raised in the missionary Baptist church. So my dad believes that I only dress up when I go to work and funerals. He don't believe I dress up on Sundays. So once a year, every Sunday, second Sunday of October, I dress up for my dad and I take a picture to prove that I did it just for him. Um, that though I'm not in that church anymore, I know how to govern myself accordingly when I go. Uh, but when we look at this particular text, David writes and he looks and he starts to pen this psalm. And when he goes through this, he starts to talk about the vastness of God and who he is and how great God is and how wonderful he is. And he talks about how I think about you and I, I look at your heavens, I look at who you are and I, I try to even when I consider your omniscience and your, how all-knowing you are and I consider your omnipresence and I consider how everywhere you are, which is to say one scripture, you go through 139 when you get a chance and it says that he even says, God, you are so big, you are so om omnipresent everywhere that when I I try or if I consider going to the heavens you are there if I consider going to the abyss or to hell or any place that seems low or beneath or trying or hard your presence is there where can I escape your presence because you are everywhere like no matter where I have been I have found you and there are moments in my life that I have to check myself that when you sometimes feel like you are abandoned, you have to ask yourself, was God abandoning you or was he just quiet with you? Because there are moments that when you go through the most hard season and a most hard trial where you feel abandoned, but God does not abandon us. Sometimes he just sits with us. And sometimes you need a God who will sit with you. That's why I do love the song, since we're talking about the Missionary Baptist Church, what I love, there's a song that used to say, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear, what a privilege it is to carry everything to God in Christ. I don't always need a master, sometimes I need a friend. Someone who will sit with me and sit with me in my stuff. And sometimes the greatest friend you can have is not one who says a lot, but sits with you a lot. God, sometimes he's so omnipresent. David said, I look and I try to find places and I can find nowhere where you are not there. You are omnipresent. You are omnipresent, God. And not only are you omnipresent, God, you are also omnipotent, God, which means he is all powerful. Which means that no matter what is trying to power me, you are more powerful than things that seem to have power over me. So not only is God omniscient, meaning I know that I'm saying words that some of you might never heard before. Not only is God omniscient, meaning he, is, uh, he knows all things. Not only that is God uh, omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere. He is also omnipotent, meaning he is a great big God because somebody just holler out and say he's a big God he he is a big God meaning no matter what you are facing in your life God's characteristic his nature is to never shrink back but to rise up 
God will always rise up in the middle of your situation. Can I get a witness of anybody in the room who said, I've seen him do it. I have seen him flex his arm. Seen him flex. Sometimes you need a God who can flex. Uh, I, I used to love people who didn't do nothing, but they would flex on you every once in a while. Uh, like they just like, I wish you would. See, I miss the old big mamas. I, that's why we have our, our, our mothers here at the church. Because mama wasn't scared of you. You say something. I remember I saw, some, uh, saw something reported a few years ago on the news. And, and somebody tried to break into big mama's house. And instead of them getting what they wanted, she wound up getting a gun and said, I wish you would. Try it. She said, I might be old, but I ain't dying today. <laughs> and you need a God who can say, devil, try it if you want, but I'm going to be here when you get finished. After the dust settles, I'm still going to be God. That's why we praise God. That's why we glorify God. That's why we say giants fall. And those things, praise and worship is not an act of aerobics. Praise and worship is a flex on your faith. It is not to get you calories. It's to remind the devil that no matter what shot he threw this year, my flex, my faith is still intact. I still believe God. Somebody open your mouth and say, I still believe God. I worship, I praise, regardless of the music, regardless of lights, regardless of those different things. My praise is a response to God's attributes that God is still omnipotent. He is still a big, good God. That's why we're very careful about our song selections when we sing. You never will hear us getting up here singing songs like, I'm coming up the rough side of the mountain. I'm doing my best to make it in. You ain't never going to hear us sing that. Because though the mountain might be rough, I ain't singing about it. I mess 18 of y'all up. That's my favorite song, and that's why you battle with depression. Because when you sing songs, it feeds that giant that God's trying to slay. So what do we say? You move mountains. It's not that I didn't say there was a mountain. What I said, flex, he moves the mountain. Not I'm coming up the rough side of the mountain. No, you move mountains. And if you want scripture for it, Salidas, the Bible says, speak to the mountain. Don't sing to it. Don't cry about it. Don't be single and listen to music and eat ice cream talking about how bad the mountain is. Speak to the mountain and say, I want you move and you will be gone henceforth now and forevermore. Now shout on that. That's a flex. That's why we don't sing it. It's not that it's not a good song. Thank God for Luther Barnes. I mean, he must have been going through a hard time. Hard season. It was rough. Probably got laid off. Bills to do. Baby need a pair of shoes. Light bill do. I don't know. All that's true. But what I am saying is when you sing something or speak something or say something that is opposite of what you're feeling, what that does is weaken the attack. I'm weakening the sting of the attack to say, devil, I see you, but I don't sing about you. I feel the attack, but I don't give it attention. Why do people love David Copperfield and all the other musicians? Because there's an audience looking at their illusions. 
All the devil can do to you is give you an illusion. And if you keep applauding for the illusion, if you keep saying how there's so much stuff going on in the magic show, the devil will continue to play tricks on you because he knows you are a captivated audience. But when you see the magician and say all you are is an illusion. But my God is not an illusion. My God is real. I don't entertain illusions. I entertain what's real. And what I know is my God is powerful. Somebody say it again. God is powerful. So he goes on through this. I'm trying to teach this. But he goes through that. And after he goes through that, then he gets here. Then he says, to the point, the scripture, he says, um, I, I, I feel, I, I see that you formed me in my inward parts. In my inward parts, I look at you and I see that you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Uh, I praise you for I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. The first thing he says about being a piece of work is what I feel, what I realize, Jacob, is that you know me. You formed me in my mother's womb. You knitted me together. You knew me, not just that I was, I was a piece of work, but you knew me enough to know that I was worth your investment. You invested me, invested in me. Anytime you look at a form, something being formed, someone has to invest time and energy into forming something. And when you look at someone knitting something, I don't know if there's any knitters here. We don't have a lot of knitters anymore. But if you look at somebody knitting, Mama Joel knits. When you look at knit, knitting is not something that is done in a one-time sitting. There is patience. They, they watch Sanford and Son while they're knitting. <laughs> They watch the have and have nots while they're knitting. They, they sit there and fuss at their grandchildren while they're knitting. Sitting there rocking back and forth in the chair while they're knitting. Because knitting is something that takes time and attention to detail. I say that because for those of you who think you are a mistake, God spent time and detail in attention making you. He knitted you. Knitting is not putting something in the microwave. Knitting is an act that requires time and patience. What I'm saying to you is though other people may not be patient with you, God was patient before you had other people in your life. God knitted you. He formed you in your mother's womb. He did it. Now, based on that fact and based on God knowing him, David then responds to that and says, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, why am I saying I? Because when you go back and read Psalms 139, look at the pronouns. It says I and me. It does not say they and them. He says I will praise you. Because I know my own worth. I will praise you because you made me. You made me fearfully and wonderfully. And I am wonderful in your image. I am not a mistake. I am wonderful in your image. Somebody say it out loud. I'm not a mistake. That may not mean anything to you. But when you have been raised in an environment where all you heard was negative words or who you would not be, or what you would not become. When you look back to your origins, and you look back to who you are, 
and realize that in your mother's womb, he had knitted you and formed you. So based on that investment, David pointed back towards the maker, the designer, the Zamiah of the painting. And he said, I'll praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I want to ask you a question. When is the last time you gave God praise for who you are? Because we live in a day and culture where we're always trying to change who we are. We live in a day and a culture where we're constantly saying, I don't like who I am. My question is, for many of you, what would it look like if I said to Zamiah, I don't like what you designed? I don't like it, even though you designed it and spent time on it. When I look at this painting, in the back of it, it says, start it. On 10-6-22, ended on 10-7-22. She wanted to document how long it took her to do it. I want to ask you, why do you keep complaining about how long God took to make you? It's quiet in this Episcopalian church. To be able to know that in yourself, God has a date of when he started. And, he, and you don't even know the finish date, but it's already been set. Because he made you. So for you, excuse me, don't, uh, this might get tight. Someone say it might get tight. And I know it is. But it's my job as a pastor to preach the gospel. It's, I don't preach trends. I preach the gospel. My question is, if God made you, why do you spend so much time trying to change what he made? I know it's not popular. I know it's not popular, and I know we're going to cancel church now because you don't say that no more. We always say you can be whoever you want to be. Do whatever you want to do. Y'all see how the air got sucked out of this church? That, that's the, <laughs> y'all don't scare me at all. I've been preaching since I was 21, and I'll be preaching after y'all. When he looks at this, when you look back towards the creator, and you say, I don't like what you made. What does that do to the architect who made you? This is how it works. I was talking to my barber the other day, and he said, you ain't asked me for my opinion about none of your messages in a while. <laughs> he said, you don't want my opinion no more? I said, just, he said, what you preaching Sunday? So I told him why I was preaching Sunday. So he gave me a new illustration. Y'all want to hear it? Here it goes. So he said, I told him what I was preaching about. He always asked why he's cutting my hair. I just want him to cut my hair and stop talking. But he cut my hair, and he said, what are you preaching about? And he said, you know what a great example is? I said, tell me what a great example is. He says, when you get a car, Terrell, this is for you. He said, when you get a car, and it gets off the warranty line or the assembly line, there is a, when it gets off the assembly line, there is a warranty for how they made it. That covers however many miles covers any defects because whatever breaks is on that company but when you drive it off the lot and you say I want it I want rims <laughs> I want certain tent on it I want to have the boom 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 I mean, all I'm doing is spitting bars on Jesus. Boom, boom, boom. I want people to hear me when I roll up in the city. Boom, boom. All that stuff. When you do all that stuff, don't y'all judge me. I feel judgment in the house. Guillaume, get out of here. Go on. 
You are no longer associate pastor. I, bro, bro, give me your license. They belong to the church anyway. <laughs> when you do all that, boom, all that, do all that stuff. Jacob started laughing at me. God's not going to use you. You do all that stuff. You do all that. And then when something breaks, you take it back to the car dealership. And you say, you said there's a warranty on this car. The person who sold you the car says, I don't recognize what you did with it. We only have a warranty for what we did. When we look back at the picture, the car looks like this. But you brought it back like that. I know it's blinged out and I know it's tricked up. That's good. That's great. But we can't have a warranty on what you did because we can't fix that. Some of you are... Some of the attacks that you're receiving in your life are not your attack. The reason that you're being attacked is because heaven can't recognize what you look like no more. So you wind up getting the attack that's not even designed for you because you wanted to look, you wanted to get a BBL and you know you're a flat box. Stop trying to bump in the night and God didn't give you that. Be comfortable with what God gave you. Stop trying to be Meg the Stallion. We don't need another one. If you ain't got legs and hips and body, if you ain't got it, be, in, be excited and praise God for what he gave you. If you got two sticks walking around, be the best chopstick maker you can be and make you a little Chinese food and call it a day. Thank you, Harold. I needed somebody in the streets. When you change what God made, could it be that your attack is somebody else's and not yours? Because the blood is the warranty that covers what it made. But when you decide, I don't like what you made and I change it, could it be? That you have welcomed a demonic attack that you are not even equipped to handle. So now you're confused and you don't know who you are. You don't know where you are. You don't know whether you're coming or you're going because you have clipped what God designed for you to have. I know it's not popular, but it's Bible. I'm not talking about what you think I'm talking about. Because some of you want to, oh, he's talking about my child. I'm not talking about your child. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about God's design. Whatever it is that God designed, whatever it is that he made, whatever it is, take it to whatever and stop trying to be so. Many of us cannot receive the gospel anymore because we wait to be offended. We have more information, but less understanding. Many of us don't even want to understand. So now we just say everything, anything, we just stay offended just to be offended. God says, I'm not trying to critique you. I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm trying to show you that I made you perfect from the beginning. Praise me for who you are. 
If you got a little neck roll, say, this is my neck roll, and I praise God for it. If you like southern food, I like southern food, and I praise God for it. If you're a vegan, praise God, because I love vegan, I'm whatever. Stop trying to critique what other God made. Because what we do, and what we do, and I say we, all of us, what we do is, we thank God for who he made us often, but then we try to change what God made in somebody else. No. Thank God for how he made you. I can't be concerned about how he made you. But what I will do is praise you for I am. Someone say I am. I want to get y'all praise back again because I lost some of y'all through that illustration because some of you, and it's, it's happened, it happens, I understand, that we don't want to be challenged anymore. Like, all we want to do is come to church, make me feel good, make me feel good, make me feel good. Give him something. He, give, me, give, me, give me, make me feel good. That's all I want to feel. But for the challenges that you are facing in your life, you got to learn how to praise God for how he made you. And if there's anything he wants to change, let him change it. Let God change you. Let him lead you. Let him guide you. Let him conform you. Someone say, let God do it. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He knows me. And the next thing he goes on and he said, my frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret, intricately woven into the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. My frame was not hidden to you. Not only that, he says, you know me. You also see me. My unformed substance, meaning things that are still not developed. Things that no one else sees. There are things that people can see on the outward side of you, and that's great, and we love that. But there are things that God has still forming inside of me that you don't see. Love, patience, sound-mindedness, being able to have long-suffering, temperance, all those different things. Those are things that no one else sees, but God sees me. Someone say, God sees me. What I'm saying to you is be encouraged. No matter where you are in your life, God sees you. He sees what nobody else sees. He sees what you're working on. He sees what you're trusting him on. He sees what you're walking through. God sees you. When nobody else sees you, he sees the time, the energy, the patience. He sees the sacrifice that you made. Somebody say, God sees me. Come on, Bible, over in Genesis it says that Hagar got kicked out of the house. Hagar got kicked out of the house. She wound up in the desert. She got in the desert with her son Ishmael. While she was in the desert, she had put her child over on one end and she got on the other end because she was preparing for the child to die. All of a sudden it says the angel heard the cry of the boy. The angel heard the cry of the boy, not the mama, but the boy, the child, the cry of the boy, which I'm saying to you, don't overlook your children. They are praying prayers that you don't even know that God is answering. He says he heard the cry of the boy and it says, and God said, you're not going to die here. Go back to the house. And that day she worshiped and called that place El Roja means the God who sees. You saw me in the desert. You saw me when I was preparing to die. You saw me when I was getting ready to give up and you didn't let it be so. Can we give God praise for a moment for the things he didn't let be so? Times I want to give up, moments I want to walk away, times I prepared to resign and he wouldn't let me send the email. 
wanted to walk away, wanted to do things, but God who saw me said, I know that this situation is designed to build you, not to kill you. This season that you're in is designed to develop you, not to destroy you. God has you in a season right now, and he wants you to know, church, he sees you. He sees you. He knows you. He sees you. He knows you. He sees me. Can we say it together? He knows me. He sees me. He sees what it's been like. He sees what is going on. God has not abandoned you. God has not left you. He says, you saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them. Meaning that God has a book and you are the name of the book. Your name has been written in a book. I'm not talking about the book you wrote. I'm talking about the book God wrote on you. <laughs> you do know he is a best time seller. You do know that. <laughs> He's got a book that's still, the, that's still the best time selling book. He says, I wrote a book on you. I know all your days before you get to him. What he's saying is, don't give up. You haven't read the next chapter yet. Don't let a few pages throw you off. Don't let a few pages and things that you see throw you off. You hadn't read the whole book. This is just one chapter. Someone says one chapter. Because there are a lot of people who will stop at a chapter and you haven't read the rest of the book. Just because it happened, that was a sad part. That's why I love series. And sometimes I wait till the series is finished. I can't watch it because I can't wait till another week. I need to know what's going on with the next season. I need to go. I need to know what's going on with the next episode. Right now, go ahead. You know, at the end of Netflix, some of y'all watch Netflix. Are y'all saved? I know everybody's saved. All y'all do is pray and speak in tongues all day. But for the rest of y'all who, who watch Netflix, anybody watch Netflix, I want to make sure I'm not the only one. At the end of Netflix, when, when you watch a series or watch a show, at the end of the bottom right-hand corner, It'll say next episode if you want to watch it. You know, those of y'all who bench, the rest of y'all are praying, bending in prayer. But for the other ones, it says watch, you know, next episode. And for some of us who can't wait to the next week, we go ahead and watch the next episode. And that's what I'm saying to many of you all. You don't know the next episode. You stop right where something happened or something broke. And you didn't know that the next episode is how God was going to use that brokenness to heal you. Or how he was going to use that situation to build you. Or how you knew that God called you into ministry, but you didn't know that misery was a part of the ministry. You thought that you are automatically going to get called to go preach at Woman Evolve. Because you got a word in your belly. Sometimes you get a word, but sometimes you got to learn how to walk out the word before you deliver the word. He says, I don't want you to get up there and mess it up. I want you to learn how to walk this thing out. So when you deliver the word, you can say, I found a savior. I found a friend. I found that somebody who will stick closer to me like no other. I, I found that when I was at my lowest, he would pick me up. I found that when my mother and my father would forsake me, that the Lord would lift me up. I found that when they did not pay me, that God would still be Jehovah Jireh, that he would still provide for me. But had I not gone through that season, I wouldn't know it. But now because I've gone through it, now I know it. Is there anybody that can open your mouth and say, I just know some things. I, I know some things. I, I know some things. And that, that's why I cannot praise the universe. 
Because I know God. That's why I cannot praise rocks and crystals. Because I know the rock. <laughs> I know he has been the hope of my salvation. Do you see how many people did not clap on that? Because when you don't know who your faith is in, you believe anything. But when you know whom you have believed and he has carried you through many seasons, you are not bending with every wind of doctrine and thought because you know too much. Can somebody just holler at one more time? I know too much. I, I know too much. Now listen here, Brother Obi, I don't do church like I used to. I don't do church like they used to do. We don't have deacons and, and we don't dress like we used to and all that type of stuff. But my faith is still the same. Choir's not rocking around in robes. Deacons aren't bending in the middle of the church. And we don't have first Sunday and have the, have the sheet here on top of the table. And we don't have the mourner's bench. And we don't have people tearing for the Holy Ghost. We don't have any of that stuff anymore. But my faith is still intact. What that means is, put me in skinny jeans and a t-shirt and I'll still dance upon you. Put me in a robe and I'll still praise him. Put me in an unemployment office, I'll still praise him. Put me in the front row of a funeral of a family member who died and I'll still praise him. And I will say, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, but I'll still praise him. I'll still give him glory. It is not the church systems that I'm trying to promote. It's the God of the church that I'm trying to promote. The Bible says lift him up that's what I know somebody asked me a few days ago I actually made a video about it. somebody asked me a few days ago they asked me sister Tanya they said when did you finally believe for yourself I said what do you mean they said when did you realize faith that what your parents told you was a lie and you finally came up to the truth and you realized that it wasn't real I said to them, I'm so sorry. That's not my story. They said, well, you know, you know, people go up and they grow up in church and they grow up and they say, you know, all of a sudden. And then you know how we come, we become enlightened. You know, all of a sudden we realize that all that stuff wasn't real. And, you know, now we just, you know, we're spiritualists. And I said, well, you know, nothing. I said, I ain't knocking you. But that's not my story. Some of y'all, let me walk down because y'all need to see me. Some of y'all grew up where you were peer pressured, you know, where the peer pressure caused you to get up and say, I believe in Jesus, I, I give him my heart, and all this type of stuff, because your friends did it. Anybody race like that? Just go ahead. There's a few of y'all. Some of y'all will be true. I mean, like, that's, that's how. And so, and then later on, around 20, 25, 30, or whatever, you say, I realized that I didn't make a confession on my own, it was my friends. Because, see, some of y'all, maybe y'all didn't, but some of y'all grew up where your parents would be mad at you, you didn't give your life to Christ. You let so-and-so get saved before you. you let, maybe y'all didn't grow up in church like that, but they did. They would get mad at you. I'm just like, how are you going to get mad at me because I didn't make a decision today? You better give your life to Christ. You know the way, all that type of stuff. They would get upset or whatever. And they said, you didn't give your life to Christ or whatever. You get mad. So peer pressure will cause you to make a decision that was based on a, a friend group plan. So eventually you realize that that wasn't real, and then you finally be like, you know what, I finally made a decision for myself. That wasn't my story. My story was I was there at a Wednesday night Bible study. Wednesday night Bible study. I still feel Jesus. A Wednesday night Bible study. My sister and I were there, 
and there was no other children. It was just my dad, because, you know, old school Bible study, you know, y'all have nice pews, you know, because they got cushion on them. See, I grew up in hard pews. Some of y'all don't know nothing about that. I grew up in hard pews where it wasn't comfortable, like where your cheeks would start to go to sleep. <laughs> y'all know. I grew up with that. So I remember the Bible study. I, I don't know what he was talking about. I don't remember. But I remember the, the feeling on my body. I could not sit still. I couldn't sit in my seat. I was like, whew, I got to let this thing out. I was eight or nine years old, and I still remember it. I waited till Bible study was over because we didn't give invitation to discipleship for that. We didn't do that. We just did Bible study, and everybody went home. After they dismissed, it was only about six people there at Bible study anyway. They dismissed. I went back to my daddy's office, and I said to him, I believe. He said, you believe what? I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he got up for me. I believe he's going to come back with power. I don't know what I said, but it sounds so good. I did. I said, I believe. See, in the Missionary Baptist Church, though, <laughs> that confession wasn't good enough. <laughs> Daddy had to bring me back into the sanctuary, call all the six people who were there, tell them all to come back. My son's got something he wants to say because we had to make a confession in front of people. Then I said, he said, tell them what you told me. I said the same thing. I believe in Jesus. I believe that he died for me. I believe that he got up. Before. And my granddad all of a sudden, ah! Granddaddy just stopped hollering. Didn't care nothing about nothing in my life, but I got saved. He cared not about anything other than the fact that I got saved. And that thing was not any friends because my friends weren't there. So I never grew up getting baptized again at 25. Because that thing was real for me when I was eight. So what I was saying to the person is that thing might be your story. Maybe you were manipulated. Maybe you were convinced. But as for me, this thing is just as real to me at 42 as it was when I was eight. And I want to know, is there anybody in the room right now who say this thing is real to me? It's not a church real. It's not a Sunday real. It's not an Instagram real. This thing is real to me. Always been real. <laughs> I always been real he said you knew my days and he goes on I don't stay there too long and he goes on in verse 17 he says now do you know me not only do you see me but the last part he says but you also think about me he says how precious are your thoughts about me do you know God is thinking about you you are on God's mind look at somebody right now and say God's on you he's on your own God's mind just tell a few people God's on your mind my question is, what is on God's mind about you? David said, how precious are your thoughts towards me? Are you in a place right now that God's thoughts are precious about you? That when he thinks of you, he says, look at my child. Look at what they're doing. Or is he at a place saying, look at my child. Look at my child. <laughs> Because either way, he's saying, look at my child. But how is he saying, look at my child? <laughs> God's thoughts are precious towards you, and he's thinking about you. God has you on his mind. So David goes on, and he says, how precious are your thoughts about me? How precious are they that you're thinking about me? So much so that you thought I was worth the investment. You took time on me. You thought about me. You know me. You knew what I was going to do. You knew what I was capable of, but you still think about me. 
That's why the scripture was last week in Psalms uh, 3 when I was talking to you. And it says, uh, it's, uh, Psalms 8, where it says, who are you that you are mindful of me? That you visit me, that you care for me. What is man that you're mindful of him? Like, what is man that all of a sudden, out of all the different things you could be thinking about, you think about me? I'll praise you, for I'm fearfully and I'm wonderfully made. Now, I'm going to end here because it's going to be a little solemn here. But one thing that I think about with David, and he pins this Psalms, he talks about how great you are, how wonderful you are. He think it's basically verses 1 through 14, how, God is pray, how, how David praises God and how great God is and how wonderful he is. But he ends... Basically, in 1 through 14, he's basically saying, I'm a piece of work. I'm, I, I know, I, I'm, I thank you that I'm your masterpiece. I thank you that I'm made in your image. I thank you that I'm great. I thank you that I'm wonderful. I thank you all those different things. I thank you that you think about me. I thank you that you know me. I thank you that you understand me. But then he ends Deacon Sterling, and he says, but because I know I am a piece of work, I also know I can be a piece of work. Say it again. Because I am a piece of work, I also know that I can be a piece of work. So he ends Psalms 139 not with praise, but he ends it and says, search me, O God. I'm so sorry, church, that we no longer have altar calls where people ask God to search me. Search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Try me. See, we say people try us. But when have you asked God, try me? Put me in a situation to see if this thing is real. Try me. Put me in a situation to decide so that you can decide if I'm really ready for what I'm asking for. Try me. I would ask y'all to say try me, but I'm afraid you won't. We ask, bless me, bless me, bless me, but try me, try me, try me, God, and see. What's that? Where's that song? Where's the search me, God? Where is the shine the light on my soul? Where's the Lord if you find anything in me? Not them. Not my daughter, not my husband, not my wife, not my children, not my spouse, not my supervisor. Lord, if you find something in me that's not right, Lord, search me. Me, God. I mean, I mean me. I'm coming to the altar call for me. It's me. I, I don't care about nobody else. I appreciate I even drove here with other people. But this thing is so personal. I'm a piece of work. Search me. Me. Like, search me, God. Try me. Know my heart. He didn't say know my flesh. He says know my heart. Meaning look past my flesh for a moment. Come here Samuel. Samuel came to Jesse's house. Prophet came to Jesse's house. But when Jesse got to the house, he got enamored with flesh. He said, you look the part of Benadab. Shama, you look the part. And God had to tap the leader and he said, leader... I don't call people based on look. Gosh, I, I don't call people who just climb the ranks. 
Oh, I don't call people who know how, who was just raised in church. Oh, oh, I don't call people based on family lineage. Oh, no, no, no. I don't call people who just know how to speak in tongues. Oh, no, I'm not just calling Baptist people. I'm just not calling Methodist people. I'm just not calling Church of God people. I'm not calling that. He said, I'm looking for people who have a heart for this, not a title for this. I'm not looking for people who got business cards. I'm looking for people who are out in the field. Jesse, do you have somebody else? He says, you don't want flesh? He said, not for what I need. Not for this season. Not for this attack. I need somebody whose heart is in it, not whose flesh is in it. Because there will come a season where you won't want to do it. There will come a season where you won't want to pray. There will come a season where you don't want to fast. There will come a season where you don't want to preach. There will come a season where you don't want to be saved. He said, I don't want your flesh. I want your heart. I want your heart. Somebody said, God wants my heart. What he's saying is, you might fall. You might fail. But if I have your heart, you'll get back up. You want Bible for it? It says a righteous man falls many times, but he gets back up. What makes the man who gets back up better than the man who falls up, who, who stays down? It's my heart that causes me to rise back up. My heart says I'm better than this. My heart says I can't stay like this. My heart says I'm a piece of work. My heart says I'm God's masterpiece. My heart said God invested it in me, and I can't let myself go down like this. Search me. I'm talking about pastor, search me. I'm talking about worship leader, search me. I'm talking about musician, search me. I'm talking about deacon, search me. I'm talking about where is the altar call where my hands go up because I know it's me. Not going out to church critiquing the message. I'm going out critiquing myself. Saying search me. Search me. Try me. Oh, come on, musicians. I feel something strong. Search me. Try me. He says, try me. And he says, and when you see, when you see something that's not right, lead me back in the right path. What I'm saying is, what I know about myself, LaDonna, is that you're going to find something. I'm not sending you on a scavenger hunt knowing there ain't nothing to find. See, church people know my Sunday self. Church people know my Facebook self. Church people know what I post on Instagram. But you know what's in me. You know my heart. And I'm saying, God, I don't want to miss the assignment because of me. What I'm saying is, God, I'm lifting my hands because I need to be searched. My hands are up. I'm not resisting. My hands up. I'm not resisting. Thank you for your prayers and generous support that grant us the opportunity to do ministry. Now, this connection doesn't have to end here. Visit our website, engage with our social platforms, comment, review, screenshot, and share your growth with others. And until next time, keep growing.